0: friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. I can hardly believe it. This is our 100th episode of the Rising Above podcast. And you know, we have so loved over the past several years getting to bring you stories From special needs families like yours. We are so thankful for you, our listeners who have been with us on this journey. And so to celebrate, we have some giveaways for you. All you need to do is just go over to any of our Rising Above social media sites and you can find out all you need to know how to register and win for some fun prizes as we celebrate this, our 100th episode of the podcast. Now, this week, you're going to get to hear from author and speaker Jolene Philo. Jolene grew up in a caregiving family and raised a son with medical special needs. She's the author of several books for the special needs and disability community, including Sharing Love Abundantly with Special Needs Families, the Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. She's also the host of the award-winning blog, A Different Dream. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing one of her books, Does My Child Have PTSD? And we had such a great and informative conversation, and I'm so thankful for her knowledge and what she had to share, and I learned so much, and I know you will as well. So here's the conversation that I had with Jolene Philo. Jolene, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I am really excited to have you on again for the second time. I think this is, I know you've been on before at least once, possibly twice, but I know once
1: for sure. Yes, I know once too. I'm not sure if it was, it's been more than that.
0: Well, that was episode 29. I know from back in 2020, believe it or not, where we talked about your book, The Five Love Languages book that you Co-wrote with uh, Gary Chapman and uh, Chapman is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, That's right. got it right. And uh, so you're also a speaker. You have been part of our By the Brook retreat back also back in 2020. And so you are you are just we call you family now because you have been part of what we do for a long time now.
1: I'm glad to be part of your family. The more family, the better.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, what we want to talk about today is. One of your books, you have written so many books. How many books have you written at this point? I know you have another um, one in the works
1: right now. Yes, I have six that have been published. A couple of them are out of print now, kind of thanks to the pandemic and not mm. being able to go out and speak. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, the book I want to talk about today is the book that you have written called
0: Does My Child Have PTSD? And, you know, we are having, I shared with you earlier. And our listeners know that our theme this year at Rising Above is restoration. We want to talk about ways that we can restore our souls, restore our minds, restore things that have been taken away from us. We can um, get into a place of better mental health and just releasing things to God. And so part of that is we wanted to have this conversation about PTSD. But also, as I shared with you earlier, I was just... Recently diagnosed with having complex PTSD just from childhood trauma, plus all the things related to uh, when I lost Jeff and things with John Alex. And so I've just now started working with a therapist. And I thought this is a great conversation that we need to have so that other people can learn about PTSD, about what can be done about it, what to look for. So thank you for your willingness to share your story as part of this conversation.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It's it's a hard topic, but it's something I love to talk about just because I want to see people find healing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear your story because most of the time when people write a book,
1: there's a reason
0: behind why you chose that topic to write about. I don't think you just went and said, no, I think I'm going to write a book about PTSD in, in children. So what was the story behind your reason? What's your reasoning for wanting to write this particular book? Sure.
1: Well, it basically started uh, because I have a child who developed post-traumatic stress disorder after he had many, many surgeries from the day of his birth up till he was about five or six years old. He had seven surgeries in that time. Uh, He had a NICU stay for about two and a half weeks, other hospitalizations, and lots and lots of invasive tests and procedures. Um, He recovered from the physical part of his illness very well and had a pretty, oh, I would say typical childhood uh, and, you know, did so many things well. But when he started middle school, we started seeing some really unusual behaviors. It's like we had this high-performing charming lovable great kid that everybody thought was going to change the world and then we also started seeing this secretive uh impulsive unable to carry through on anything kid who could never explain why those things were happening to him and it wasn't until he was 26 that he was actually uh diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder When he realized that his life basically had come to a standstill Mm, and he could not move forward until he figured out what was going on with him. And truly by the grace of God, uh, we were able to find a clinic near where he lived in West Virginia that did really cutting edge outpatient treatment in an intensive form, like a week of treatment, six Mm -hmm. hours a day. Wow. um, for post-traumatic stress disorder. And they were able to have him fill out their assessment forms. And they were able to say, yes, you have PTSD that's caused by all this early trauma that you endured this medical trauma. And we think we can treat you. He went through a week of treatment and I was, I was with him, you know, took him to the clinic every day and out to lunch. And then, you know, was in the motel with him, room, room with him every night. And they also did some work with me as a mm. parent so that you know, I would have an idea of what was going on and how to deal with him if he if he had any issues during that week. And by the end of the week, I knew a lot more about trauma and mm-hmm. children. And that begins in childhood. And his life was pretty much turned around and changed for wow. he, he a great deal of healing. Um, then about two years later, my daughter became engaged to a wonderful young man and when he told us his story before they before they were engaged of course we knew him and he told us his story and discovered that he had some significant trauma in his early life including um, he watched when he was five years old his three-year-old brother die in a playground accident wow not realizing what was happening and then that of course kind of imploded his whole family and so there was a messy divorce and some emotional and physical abuse issues that he dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so he was dealing with anxiety. And eventually, he agreed that maybe it was PTSD. And he went to the same clinic, and I went with him and my daughter, um, because they wanted a parent figure along. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was like, you know, I think there's a book in this, I think, you know, somebody needs to be writing about it. And I was having so much trouble getting other people to this would have been in the early, like 2009, 2010 in there, Mm -hmm. getting people on board that my son could even have had childhood PTSD from things that happened so long ago. And I'm like, I think somebody needs to write a book. So I contacted the clinic staff and asked them if I could interview everyone during that week. And they agreed read, and they gave me all sorts of reading lists and research to do. And uh, from there on out, I just kept reading more and more about it, interviewing more people, um, coming up with a book outline, and then finally finding a publisher who was willing to publish a book about the topic. So that's kind of where it came from. I think if I was trying to do it now with the pandemic having gone Mm -hmm. on, it would be a lot easier to find a publisher than it was that Probably
0: so. You, you maybe your sales are going to just skyrocket now with. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so for people who are new to PTSD, explain what is PTSD and what is the difference between trauma and PTSD.
1: Okay. Well, my favorite definition of trauma is the scary, yucky, painful things that happen to us as children. At least for kids, that's what trauma is. Mm-hmm. So it's those scary things. We all go through them. Everybody, we can look back on our childhoods and see that we all went through trauma. However, not everyone develops PTSD. And the difference is this, if the child or adult, if you're going through a trauma, mm-hmm. if if you are able to process that trauma and take those emotions that first get stored in our right brain as images, um, smells, sounds, uh, just physical sensations. If we have got someone there when those when those traumatic memories occur, who can help us talk about it? It can help describe what happened to us to us and help us um, kind of just form a narrative for what happened. We can actually. Avoid developing PTSD because Mm -hmm. all the energy, you know, all that trapped energy that comes with the stress hormones and the adrenaline and all that, eventually, if we have someone who can keep assuring us that we're safe, who can keep helping talk us through, this is what happened. It had a beginning, it had a middle, it had an end, and now you're safe. If a child has someone doing that with them, they probably are going to eventually Just kind of move on with life. And that trauma just becomes a memory, Mm. but it's not a memory that holds you in the grip of fear and uncertainty and anxiety. For children who don't have that, or adults that don't have someone to help them process it, those memories get trapped in our right brain. And we start having symptoms like um, nightmares. And uh, maybe we want to just run away whenever we're presented with anything similar Mm -hmm. to what happened to us. And uh, little children might lose weight. Uh, They might become very clingy and not sleep. And there's so many things that can happen. And if those kinds of symptoms continue more than three months after the original trauma, then a child or an adult can be diagnosed as having post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. And at that point, they're going to need somebody to help them access and get uh, process those emotions so that they can get over the PTSD and move
0: on. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's so important to just be aware. And like you said, because I went for a long time, you know, Jeff's been a lot of mine is related to when my husband passed away and the trauma that was surrounded all of that. And he's, you know, it's been four and a half years. And so I'm just now starting to process through all of those emotions and feelings that went along with that. And tell me, you know, and I'm learning, you know, about this now from the adult side of things, but how prevalent is it, Jolene, in children?
1: Well, there are statistics all over, um, all over the map. The the, there are some that say like 12 percent of kids will have PTSD caused by childhood trauma I've seen things like 20 percent I actually think it's probably much higher mm-hmm. that's kind of my personal opinion just based on what I see and I do a lot of work with educators who are working with large groups of kids and they're they're reporting that they're seeing more and more kids um, dealing with trauma issues and anxiety and and the thing is, I think a lot of other diagnoses that we're seeing like anxiety disorders or phobias or um, even things like uh, obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. and many other things are probably trauma-based. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the clinic where our son was treated and our son-in-law, they would often say that if we could treat trauma issues in children and adults shortly after the trauma occurs, our three ring binder of uh of mental illnesses would become a pamphlet Wow, because almost they believe that ninety percent of mental illness issues are based in trauma
0: wow and and I'm sure with what's been going on here in the past several years with the pandemic and what are you seeing a change in things are you seeing higher numbers of of children who are having issues just from from things that you've been reading and looking at what are you seeing just with this latest few years that we've been in
1: again i would say that um educators are the people i'm a former teacher mm-hmm. and so i do, do a lot of work with schools and uh trainings for educators and what i'm hearing from them is that yes their kids are they uh, they they just don't feel safe mm-hmm. that's what teachers see at school. And then going along with that, any of those behaviors that you can think of that go along with someone not feeling safe, where they're kind of have a hair trigger, you know, everything makes them scared Mm -hmm. and then they blow up or, or they want to run away or, you know, they close down completely, or they just quit coming to school, Mm -hmm. you know, especially as kids get older. And I think a lot of that um, is caused by the pandemic. And then For many children, school is their safe place, depending Mm. on their family situation. And so these children that get are used to getting two meals, two good meals a day Mm. at school and being in a place where they feel safe and and life is predictable. Um, Now being stuck at home during a pandemic, um, not sure where their food's going to come from, maybe with an abusive caregiver or whatever their situation is they that educators are talking about seeing a lot more kids wow. that are dealing with trauma yeah that
0: is i'm sure that that is the case and i'm also sure that so often ptsd is misdiagnosed i would think it's a harder thing especially in children to go is this behavior is this just them acting out mm-hmm. so what if, what do you look for what are some of the signs that you look for and why is, you know, what are some of the ways that it's so often misdiagnosed?
1: Okay, well, I would say um, the the main thing to look for is if you know a child has a history of trauma, whether it's medical trauma, or bullying, or abuse situations at home, or they've, uh, they've witnessed a violent act, or they were in an accident, or a natural disaster or a combination of those mm-hmm. kinds of things. They've lost a significant person in their life. They've um, they've moved a lot, homelessness, poverty, uh, even adoption. Even if it's a really good adoption, there is that separation from the birth parent, and that's traumatic for a very young child. If a child has a trauma history and you're seeing behaviors that could be trauma or they could be something else, Well, maybe the place to start then is with trauma. You know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um, But other things that are often misdiagnosed, uh, the most common misdiagnosis in kids is uh, ADHD. Mm -hmm. That's what I would think. Yeah. Yeah, And the reason is that this child who's dealing with trauma, um, they have a hard time concentrating, so they're working on this thing. But then if it reminds them of that original traumatic event, they're going to move and switch to something else. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they're upset again, they're going to move on and move on. And it's, it, it is a shortened attention span, but it's not because they have ADHD. It's mm-hmm. because they have trauma in their background. Yeah. Other things can be bipolar uh, disorder. Um, it has a mood disorder, it's called now. Um, where it seems like you're dealing with different people at different times. And you Right now you're this, and now all of a sudden this happened, and you're this, this. And that is often related to trauma too, because the child, when we're traumatized, there's a little piece of us at whatever age that trauma occurs, if it's not been processed and dealt with, there's that little piece of you that whenever something similar happens, you're going to respond like you did at the age you were. So, you know, if if you're a 20-year-old and something happens that reminds you of an event that happened when you were three or four or 10, you're going to respond as a very different person. And it's going to look like a mood disorder, but it very likely could be trauma, especially again, if you know the child has a trauma history.
0: Wow. Well, in your book, you cover nine myths that are common to trauma in kids, and I would love for you, there's a couple of them that I've picked out that I would love for you to elaborate a little bit on, because I think these are the ones when I'm looking at our families and and when I look at PTSD, probably some of the things that I would think about, but your number one myth was that only soldiers or victims of abuse or violence have PTSD. You know, when I first heard about PTSD, it was from people who were coming back from serving overseas, but elaborate a little bit on that and why that is a myth.
1: Well, um, and, and that's the one you still hear to this day very mm-hmm. often, is that, well, isn't that something just soldiers get? Well, if you think about that, just on the face of it, you can quickly poke some holes in that. First of all, if only soldiers get PTSD, well, what about all the other people that are around when there's a war or a conflict? You know, the, the people that live there, the refugees, all of, mm-hmm. they can get PTSD too, can't they? And we would say, well, of course they can. Well, then it's not just for soldiers, is it? Mm -hmm. It's for anyone who's dealing with um, some kind of a trauma, whether it is a violent trauma that we think of in war or a displacement like happens with war refugees. Is that so different from somebody who's suddenly homeless and Mm -hmm. is displaced from their home? Well, not really. So yeah, a lot more people can get PTSD.
0: Well, and myth number four Kids don't remember what happens when they are babies. You know, you think about you've got a newborn baby. They're not, you know, they're just born. They're not going to remember what's happened. But why is that a myth?
1: Yeah. And that one, I think, is a really foundational one for us to understand um, trauma and PTSD in children. We have two kinds of memory. And one is implicit memory. It begins at birth and it continues throughout our lives. And we are constantly creating implicit memories. Um, They are usually image-based, again. They are smells, they are sounds, they're sensations, hot, cold, you know, uh, soft, nubbly, whatever. Um, And we're constantly creating those those memories. Now, the memory we usually think of when we think, well, a child isn't going to remember that is the second kind of memory. And that's called our explicit memory. It starts when we're about a year and a half year, a, one and a half years old. And it's the kind of things, it's that memory that so all of a sudden we know that a mommy is mommy and a tree is a tree and um, a dog is a dog. So it begins with those factual things, but then around age two or three, it starts being that autobiographical memory that we think of as the movie reel of our lives. Mm -hmm. So I often ask people, try and think of what's your very first memory. And it usually turns out that it's somewhere between that age two to three, up to four-year-old. And it's usually a very impactful memory, either negative and traumatic you know, you fell out of a tree and broke your arm or, you know, you burned your finger on something. Or I even had one girl say, minus, I remember my dad getting in the car and driving away mm, and watching, gosh. and he never came back, mm. you know, and watching out our window. Um, or I've had some people say that there's this like, oh, well, my family had this surprise birthday party for me and I got a pony or I got this or that. So it can be a very positive thing. Right. That's what we think of as our first memories. And that's why we say, well, children before age three aren't going to remember anything, but they they do. They've got those implicit memories. So for example, my son has implicit memories that he worked through in treatment about like the feeding tube that they put in and how Mm. he had no control over how much food he ate because we just poured it in his tube. And so then he had these uncomfortable feelings of being too full. And he had no control. Um, Or you think of, um, here's one example I always use. You think of a child, mom is taking a new baby outside in the summer and uh, dad just mowed the grass and mom trips on a tree root and baby and mom face plant in the grass. From then on, and you don't know why, you don't even remember that happening, but you hate the smell of cut grass. And the color green just gives you the heebie-jeebies. So that's an implicit negative memory. An implicit positive would be mom took you in the house, put you in your bouncy chair, and she started making chocolate chip cookies. And oh my goodness, they smelled so good. And she kept coming over to check and see if you were okay and chucking you under the chin and you know, blowing bubbles on your tummy. And ever since then, chocolate chip cookies are no long, no, not only delicious, But their impact on you goes way beyond a chocolate chip cookie to a sense of well-being and being loved and security that just overwhelms you when you smell a chocolate chip cookie. So that's another kind of implicit memory. So that's how babies do memory. They, excuse me, they do remember. They just remember differently. Differently. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And as I'm hearing you talking, I'm just thinking about how God designed us, Yes, you know, how detailed we are for every part of our bodies, especially our brains and how things are impacted. But then also the interaction that we have with each other as human beings, how important that is, because even if you have had that traumatic experience or that something scary or hard that's happened in your life, if you have that person who comes alongside you and helps you unpack that and walk that through what a difference that can make. Yes.
1: And that just speaks to one of the things that helps children the most deal with trauma is the presence of a primary, calm, secure, and consistent caregiver. Children who have that in their life, have a, even if they experience significant trauma, have a much better chance of, of having good mental health and, you know, being able to be resilient and deal with trauma than children who don't have that.
0: Well, your ninth myth actually segues right into what I want to talk about next, but it's traumatized children are irreparably damaged and that that is a myth. And I'll tell you, a friend of mine who has a daughter who had complex medical issues as an infant read your book. And she told me, she said, that one gave me so much hope to know that that was a myth.
1: Yes. Yeah. So share
0: why that is a myth that our, our children, there are things that we can do. I want to talk about hope at this point, you know, because it's such a heavy conversation and I would suspect there's some parents who are listening right now who are going, Oh my goodness, my child has been through so much. Yeah. And what am I going to do? So explain why that's a myth that it's, there is help.
1: It's a myth because the, field of mental health treatment has advanced considerably in the, in the last oh, 20, 30, 40 years. And there are more treatments coming online all the time that are very effective. and the sooner you can have a child start treatment um, after the traumatic event, the more more uh, effective the treatment will be and the more complete the healing will be. That's why it's really important for many of these treatments, um, like the one our son went through, they do treat children there and they can treat children as young as three years old. Mm. As soon as you're verbal enough to start creating, helping create and tell the, the narrative of your story of what happened to you, you can start doing treatment as a child, or if you're dealing with, um, someone who is developmentally delayed, you know, as soon as they have that three-year-old verbal ability, you can start doing that. And children's brains are extremely elastic and flexible. And you can like, if you can get in there and help them um, hear the true story of what happened instead of the, the false story that uh, our perception when we're going through the trauma teaches us that we're a victim, that we can't do anything about it, that mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. If you can get the true story programmed in your brain, so that's the story you tell yourself. And the younger that happens, my goodness, the greater the the effectiveness of the treatment is going to be. Um, so that's the main thing, and it goes right along with what you were just saying about how God created us. Mm-hmm. We that is the power of love. That primary Absolutely. consistent caregiver is actually um being the source of God's love to that young child. That's mm-hmm. how they understand it.
0: Yeah. And
1: the more of that love a child can have, and you as the primary caregiver um, can share that with them. And maybe that means you need to get some mental health care treatment too so that you can be present for your child and provide for their needs as effectively as possible. All of those things that we can do increase the chances of a child recovering fully. And, if, and we never recover fully from any injury, right? I broke my toe when I was uh, in sixth grade and now that I'm 65, boy, in the winter, does that toe hurt? they no, <laughs> you'll
0: know? you have that memory pop back up down to a okay.
1: memory. There's a body memory of <laughs> yes. that injury, and that's going to be there. But you know, you know how to cope with
0: it, right? You know how to process through. Well, I was right. thinking as you were talking about that you were you were talking about children who are verbal and that you can help them process through. And but it made me think about like my situation with John Alex, who is nonverbal. But we actually had a situation this last year that came to mind today as I was preparing for this conversation. Back at the beginning of last year, he had lots of medical things going on with his kidneys. We were in and out of the hospital, back and forth, driving back and forth, having multiple—I don't even remember how many surgeries he had, and you know, it was procedures that he had, hospital stay. But we rode, my sister would take us down and we would ride in her car to the town, the city where we were going to have these procedures. So every time we would go there, we would get in her car to go because she drove us. Well, several months later, we had a snowstorm and they needed to come pick us up because we were stuck. So they came to get us. We put John Alex in that car and he all of a sudden just got. You could just see a shift in him. Usually when we get in the car, he's happy, he's joyful, but I could see it all over him. It took me a little bit. I thought, what, you know, what is wrong? But then it hit me. I said, I think he thinks we're going back to the hospital. Sure. And so as soon as I told him, I was, I just reassured him. I talked to him. I said, buddy, we are not going to the hospital. You're going, you know, we're, we're not doing that. And totally changed. So he understood, even though, um, he doesn't have the words to say it back to me. So how do how do parents who have children who are nonverbal, how do we help our children process through?
1: Well, I think what you said was is just a really good example of that. We have to give them the words. Very often, you know, uh your your uh I can't remember the exact educational words for it, but our our receptive language is much greater than right. our spoken right. language. So most parents know what their children can understand and how to best say it to them so they understand. So we have to prepare our kids. If something is going to happen, we need to tell them about it. This kind of gets into the power of why social stories are so useful with kids, because you tell the story beforehand and help them understand what's going to be happening so that there aren't as many surprises. Mm -hmm. So you can do that beforehand if they're going to be going into something that you know could be scary or traumatic for them. And then after the event, you need to be there with them, reassuring them as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. So if it is a medical procedure, you want to make sure that you're with that child, assuring them that they're going to be okay until they, if they go under anesthetic, until they're under, and then be with them before they wake up from it. So you're the first case, first face they see, and you can be kind of explaining what's happening to them and telling them the story over and over of of what they're going through, what's happening, that it's okay now. I'm going to be with you, mm-hmm. so that they have that assurance. So we have to be we have to form that narrative for them, and tell it to them, and then. You know, we don't know what's going on always in a child's brain if they're nonverbal, mm-hmm. but they could have thinking language where they're telling themselves that over and over and mm-hmm. over. And the way you tell it to them, you know what the how your um, child receives information the best. Very often that might be with music. So that could be playing certain songs that, you know, are very calming to a child, making up a song and words to a song, you know, and singing it to them over and over, because music is very powerful, it reaches um, the combination of the music and the words can often reach into a brain uh, and really stick, you know, so if we have something positive, we're sticking in their brain with music that can be very effective. There's lots and lots of ways. And the main thing is to just constantly communicate with your child.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's making me think about, you know, when you get in those high stress situations, you're having a situation like an emergency situation with your child. Mm -hmm. You as the parent, like you said before, we've kind of got to work on ourselves too (laughs) in order to be able to be calm and peaceful In those moments, so what would you say to the parents out there who are listening? Who, you know, many of them just like me, finding out now I'm struggling with PTSD, and I'm working through that in my own life. And I've seen how it how it plays out for me. What do parents need to do to help them get in a place where they can better than be strong enough to help their child when they're having the traumatic situation?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves and realize that, yep, if we are raising a child who has special needs and disabilities, we are probably dealing with our own trauma. We are dealing with our own trauma because we've suffered a loss. We have suffered the loss of the child we thought we were going to have, Um, and and it's hard. We love the children we have, but still, we lost a dream. That we of what we thought our parenting life and our parenting experience would be. And we need help to process that. And so I would say if you are raising a child who has special needs, I would just see it, check with your insurance, see what you can do Mm -hmm. to to meet with a mental health care therapist and find a therapist that you like. Now, there's my website is differentdream.com. And if you go there and type in the search bar, how to find a therapist, I have an article in there about steps to take to find a therapist. Now it's about finding a trauma therapist, but if you're dealing with depression or anxiety, you can, you know, put your word in there (laughs) in place of trauma Mm -hmm. and the steps will, will work just the same. One of the good things that's come out of the pandemic is that, um, mental health care therapy, telehealth has become much more common. And I know that one of the hardest things as parents of kids with disabilities and special needs is getting away because we have to be with our kids Mm -hmm. and finding somebody to care for them is difficult. Well, with telehealth, you can, if you have to, you can, you know, put on a video and have them watching the video while you have your appointment in another room and you don't even have to leave your house. Um, so, I would really encourage people to find a therapist they like, look through those seven steps at that the, the article at differentdream.com, and um, find yourself a therapist and start getting treated yourself. because the main one of the uh, another main cause of trauma in children is if they're being raised by a parent with significant mental health care issues,
0: yeah. because
1: it's so hard when you're dealing with those yourselves as a parent to be present and consistent with Mm -hmm. your children.
0: Yeah, it's so important and it's hard. And I think so often there's been stigma around going to go take care of of mental health issues to go get therapy or counseling. But it's truly one of the best things that you can do for yourself, for your family, if you have things that need to be addressed. Yeah. Which I think probably uh, the majority of people on the planet, especially right now have got drama from things that have gone on just in their lives and here recently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately I think the church has not always been on board either with people receiving mental health care therapy. Um, And and I just want parents to know that if anybody at your church is telling you that all you need to do is pray harder and have more faith, um, that is not, true. We would never say that to someone who was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. or, um, diabetes. We wouldn't say, well, let's just pray. Don't go see a doctor about this. We'll just pray. And we'll help you get rid of it that way. There used to be a lot of people that would say that, but that's not so much anymore, Mm -hmm. but it is still true often in churches regarding mental health. So I would say, um, if you're in a church that's saying that, you maybe need to go find some other spiritual counsel um, that will encourage you and help you find the mental health care therapy you need. And there are many good Christian therapists.
0: I'm seeing a Christian therapist who is amazing. And at the end of every session, she prays over me mm-hmm. and my family and what's going on in my life. And absolutely, it is, it is very much so she's helping me process through things, but it's very much so a spiritual uh, has spiritual overtones to it. And so, I, yes, you can find Christian counselors out there who will help you walk through it.
1: And and if you want to read more about that and know more about it, I would encourage people to go to the Key Ministry website. Key Ministry, I think it's .org, isn't it? I think they, so, yeah. yeah. We
0: can, we'll add a link in the show notes yeah, with your website.
1: They are very proactive about um, sure. churches and communities of faith coming beside people who need mental health care therapy. It's
0: a very good resource. Yes, I agree. That's a very good thing to bring up because I'd forgotten about that, but that's a great resource as well when you're looking at this. Well, you know, Rising Above, our theme this year is restoration. And we're looking at ways that we can allow God to restore us. And so, Jolene, what are you personally doing right now to allow God to bring restoration into your life?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I'm glad you kind of gave me a heads up yesterday because it gave me time to think about it. Well, I did want to just spring that on you and go, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, here, answer this coherently. Right. Um, I guess the main thing um, I, I really want to work on this year is restoration of my thought life. Mm. I'm kind of one of those people and I don't know if it's part of being a writer or what, but I am just, I mean, I'm just constantly Um, my, my brain is spinning and thoughts are always going and it's really easy for me to get negative really quickly Mm -hmm. and to fall into bitterness and blaming other people and especially the people I love most, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like, and so I have my prayer so far this year has been that God will just, um, stop me in my tracks, you know, and, and let me know when those thoughts are coming and help me get restored to a more positive, more loving, more real and true way of thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, to get rid of this perspective, you know, it's like my husband said, we all have screens that everything the world comes through our screen and it tilts and changes things. Mm -hmm. So like to get my screen tilted back so I'm seeing things the way they really are.
0: Yeah. Do you have any plans in place
1: as to how you're going to do that? Well right now it's a lot of prayer and I just am I am more cognizant of Mm -hmm. um of what my thoughts are. And so you know as soon as I start thinking one way, I'm like, okay now I stop myself. Yes. Okay, so so is that true? Yes. You know, is that really what that person is like? Is that really their motivation? So why are you thinking it is? What is there in your thinking that yes. <laughs> that makes you makes you think that? Because mm-hmm. usually, you know, the way we're thinking, we project that onto other people. So it's like, yes. so where did I get off on that? What mm-hmm. have I heard in the past that makes me think this could possibly be that? And then just kind of saying, okay, God, show me more, show yeah. me more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's good.
1: And I do a lot of journaling and I do a lot of, um, you know, prayer journaling and that mm. kind of thing, doing gratitude. Trying, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. The other thing I'm doing is kind of making a shift from writing nonfiction to fiction. Because, and I want to talk
0: about that. I was like okay. I don't want to close out without hearing okay. about your new book because um your other books have been fabulous, and I am super excited about this one you have coming up. So share about your your fiction book that you have coming out
1: and the reason I'm moving on to fiction is partly because my my son is now he's gonna be forty years old this year. I'm like forty wow. years old. when did that happen, and you know when your story is 40 years old, it's older than many of the parents who are raising kids with special needs now. And there's a new generation of parents raising kids with special needs who are going into this ministry. And what they have to say is so powerful and more in tune with the experiences of young parents today. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of feeling like, oh, you Maybe I can pull back a little bit and start doing something different. And I've always wanted to write fiction. In fact, writing nonfiction, I still can't believe I'm a nonfiction writer because almost all I read is fiction. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I'm writing a fiction series that's actually based where my husband and I first lived after we got married in Western South Dakota in a very remote area in cowboy country. And I was a country school teacher out there. So my book has many of those characteristics, a country school teacher, though she's not married yet. The first year we lived in in that town, a, a rancher disappeared and has never been found. His body and he have never been found. So the first book in my series kind of takes that mystery and, and tries to figure out what happened. So the first book is called See Jane Run because this, Country school teacher's name is Jane.
0: Love it. And
1: yes. And so then there, it'll be a series. The next one that I'm working on now is See Jane Sing, and then there's See Jane Dance, and hopefully there will be several. And one of my favorite things about the series is also taken from life in that there are characters in there who have disabilities and special Mm -hmm. needs are integral to the story. Love it. Because when we lived out there, the town we were in was so small that everybody had to pull their weight. Mm. And so the um, telephone operator, they, there was a switchboard out there uh, when we lived there. It was like 20, 30 years behind the times. Wow, I'm not that old. But she was the first, the woman who ran the switchboard was the first cleft palate repair ever done at Mayo Clinic. Wow, And it was not an elegant job. Mm. Um, and she was really hard to understand but she ran the switchboard and basically the whole town. And then her husband fixed all of the lines in this little small telephone company. And he was blind. Wow. And he would call him climb the poles mm. and, and fix the lines.
0: So are they going to show up in your books?
1: Yes. They show up in my books. And then um, the, the main character has a father who's dealing with multiple sclerosis back in Iowa. Also, from my story. And so another part of it is that tension that comes like it was really hard for me to move away from where my dad was Mm -hmm. because, you know, then my mom had to do all the caregiving, but I was young, you know, and you have to start your life. So there are those kinds of things in there. And then as the books go on, there were other people with disabilities and, and special needs who also were integral to the community and they show up in future books.
0: And so when does this first book, C Jane Run, when does it come out?
1: The first one comes out in June of this year. Okay. And then the second one, C Jane Sing, will come out um, early next fall. And then hopefully the third one, C Jane Dance, will come out about a year from now. And then after that, hopefully there will be one a year.
0: That's amazing.
1: Get, you know, once we get people like really into the it series, is, yes, and yeah, that's great. Well, I
0: can't wait to to read that. And Jolene, I just I thank you so much for your time today and your wealth of knowledge as you talk about this subject. That's really a hard subject sometimes to talk about. And and I don't want any parent listening to walk away feeling discouraged or feeling like uh, there is no hope or like whatever you know, almost feeling like I, I haven't done this right up to this point and. I don't want anyone to walk away feeling dejected or feeling bad about maybe something they did or didn't do. So what would you say to that parent?
1: I would just say, you know, you are doing a hard job and you're doing a better job than you think you are. Mm -hmm. And you can't harbor any guilt for what you've already done, especially if, like many of us, you didn't even realize that this was a mental health condition children could have. Mm-hmm. All you can do now is move forward with what you know and seek the help that your child needs. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage anybody, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to talk to you by email or whatever. Just go to my website, differentdream.com, hit the connect, uh, contact me button. And you can send me an email and I will get back to you as soon as I can. great. And, you know, I'm I'm perfectly willing to answer your questions or point you, you know, towards maybe what some good kinds of therapy are, whatever, anything I can do to help you. You are not in this alone. That's right. And that should bring you hope too.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jolene. And we will add all the links to your books and to your website in the show notes so people can easily find all of the information about you, and I can't wait to have you back on oh, when your book you. comes out. Just plus plan on coming back, and you can talk about CJ and Run, and uh share with us some of the characters that, that are in that book. So
1: I would love to. That'd be so great and because you know we're family.
0: That's right. right? We're gonna come back we, we <laughs> someday. We're gonna have to. You know, we I was going to say someday we'll have to meet. We actually have met at conferences before. So, but it's that was back in the dark ages before COVID, and so yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so you
1: know we may meet again at another conference behind our N ninety four masks. There you go. There you go. Thanks again, Jolene. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.